We've just been singing, you know, we have the cry of the Lord's heart. You know, the more you draw near to God, the more the cries of his heart you become aware of. You know, the heart for the lost, the heart for the nations. But, you know, he has such a heart for orphans, for fatherless, for the poor. His heart is entwined with them. And we cannot have his heart for them as we draw near to God. In fact, he so identifies with them. He says in Matthew, he said, talk about the kingdom. He says to a group of people, come into my kingdom. And, and, they, and they sort of, he said, you fed me, you clothed me, you, you made a home for me, you, 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 you did things for me. And they said, when, Lord? When you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it for me? You know, we want to love on God, don't we? We want to love on God. One way you can love on God is to love on the least of his people. As you feed them and clothe them and, and do things, you're learning it to the Lord because his heart is so entwined. He said, when mother and father aren't there for me, the Lord himself takes them up. They belong to him. His heart is so for them. And, and uh, when we do it to him, as Elaine said, you lend to the Lord when you, when you do that for him. And he's no man's debtor. He is no man's debtor. He's a great person to lend to. He gives it back over and over again. In fact, Mike was talking to a businessman this week who said, in my retirement, I've got more money coming in than I've ever had coming in. He said, because I've given over a million dollars to the poor. Isn't that amazing testimony? Oh, I think, you know, we can't help but respond to the poor. The more we get closer to God, we have to respond to the poor because they're so entwined. When I was growing up, we did the scripture union a lot. And there's always a promise and a warning we had to look out for in scriptures. I like to give the church one scripture. In fact, we could almost call this Proverbs 28, 27 ministries. Say 28, 27. <laughs> now, this is a promise and a warning. It promises, if you give unto the poor, you shall not lack. Isn't that a great promise? If you give to the poor, you shall not lack. That's a great promise. God will not leave you impoverished if you sow and give to the poor. But the warning is, if you hide their eyes from them, if you don't want to go there, you're actually, many a curse will come upon you. That's a warning too. You know, if you don't hear their cries, God doesn't even hear your cries. There are amazing scriptures when you start to examine what God says about this. I don't want to be crying out to the God intensely and not be heard. But there's a warning. If you don't respond in these areas, he doesn't hear our cries. So I believe as a church we must respond as, as um, you know, some of these pathways Ian was talking about. Sometimes you get a, a, a natural experience and it leads to a response. And as we stood there and saw these children singing, you know, my mother and father aren't there for me. What shall we do? What shall we do? Oh, the tears were coming down these little kids' faces as they just sort of said, what shall we do? But, you know, the kingdom of God is within us. We are his hands. We are his body. We're the ones that actually write the checks. And it's the love of God within us flowing through us that causes us to do that. We have to respond because of the love of God wanting to flow through us and release to the cries of the poor. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Joy. Hey. I wonder if you could just work on the sound and get these uh, monitors down. I'm just struggling with the level of noise today. Just if you just bring it down so I don't feel like I'm loud. I'm loud without the noise. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We want to just show you just a couple of uh, clips now. If you just pop them up, just say, just for some things we saw in Uganda. Just have a look at it. You can see just exactly what it's like over there. You can see the mud floors, just how barren it is. That brick house was, that brick gathering place was built by people in New Zealand. There they all are, the orphans, you can see them there. As when they sang that song, What Shall We Do? They all began to share their testimony of how, God, how, how they'd lost a parent, both parents. And uh, they just were so joyful, they ran up to the front just to, for anything we would give them. There they are. <laughs> Look at the faces. And of course, they nurtured them in the Lord. The big thing about working with the local church is that uh, the children are raised up to respond to God, and they see that the blessings come from God, and they see God touching their lives. And for many, that's all they have is just a hope in the Lord. And so tremendous openness. There we go. Okay, so those are just little gifts we gave, heaps of little wee gifts. I wonder if you how many realize that the care of the poor is God's idea. It's never the world's idea. It's always the God's idea. In fact, actually, if you have a look, uh, almost every area of uh, life uh, in the earth that God designed and intended came through and out through the church. It was always God's plan to do certain things. But the church is actually withdrawn from the world 
and given up and surrendered progressively education, the media, all kinds of areas of uh, finance, government, and particularly care of the, loss of the those who are lacking. And God is speaking to the church worldwide. It's time to break out. It's time to get involved again. It's time to take up the cry, not because there are poor people, but because this is our mandate to the world. You say amen? Amen. Say amen. Now this week we've got the Waitoto Kids Choir coming. Now just to give you a little explanation about it, uh, this is from, how many remember being Gary Skinner when he came here last year from, uh, uh, from Uganda, uh, from Kampala. He's got a big church here, they've got an awful work. This choir comes out of the orphans there and uh, it's an orphan choir coming from his work. They're going around and they're raising sponsorship for orphans under his care. So we want to invite people from outside in the community to come and uh, draw their finances in to support it. As a church, we also have a vision of what we want to do. So you need to be focused around what we want to do. By the end of the year, we want to raise and support 100 orphans. I believe it's not hard in a church this side for us to support 100 kids. And uh, the great thing for us, it's about 20% of the church population, double portion to the Lord. And uh, but I believe that we need to do something that just lifts up a standard and say, hey, we're really interested in this. We really want to do something. It's a longer-term commitment in some part of the world. You can look at the TV and say, well, what can we do? It's such a big problem. Well, you just locate one place and say, we can do something there. Others, why don't you do something like this? And uh, we're wanting to work through John rather than uh, other organizations. We're wanting to go where no one's working and to start and to build up something from scratch. So it's going to be a great thing. We've talked with John. We've talked uh, also with uh, other people related to it. And by the end of the year, we should have all the processes set up to have about 100 kids under care of this church and members of this church. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Do something like that. Invest in another nation. Eh? Be fantastic. Praise the Lord. Remembering that we're investing in our future. We're not giving money away, and we're not just giving someone to help out. We're actually investing in the next generation in that nation. See, if you just think helping the poor, I don't know about you, but I don't get turned on by that. But I get turned on by a vision that the church is called to make a difference where there are people who have no hope and that we're called to bring the gospel to them and to actually practically help them become uh, financially independent and to grow in education and in health. And those are the things we want to do over there. We want to help business people get into business for themselves. We want to help the orphans by providing medical care and education so they can be part of a different generation. Amen? That's the next generation. Amen? We've got to do something. Can't just stand back and wring our hands. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to have a good time. Why don't you look with me in Psalm 92? Well, we've had a great time in the atmosphere this morning, been absolutely wonderful, and it's a direct reflection, of course, of uh, what happened at the seminar yesterday. Uh, Ian did a brilliant seminar on encountering God. Very few people in the world I know that equip people uh, to how to activate their life to encounter and to touch the realm of the Spirit. There are many things he taught which are quite advanced uh, for people. There's still the basic keys were very simple, and uh, it was just outstanding. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the thing I enjoyed the most was to be able to come into my own church and to sit down and, and have ministry that's uh, activating things in the spirit, not have to do or carry it. It was wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate that so much. So give him a clap. Just appreciate it. Very, very good. First class. Praise the Lord. Well, we were talking about offenses. How many have found already since we started the series, you've been offended more than once? <laughs> Hate to say I told you so, but I did say it was likely to happen. <laughs> and the reason it came, there's always these reasons for them to come. But the, we saw there that uh, God permits offenses to come. Offenses are going to come. Bible says they'll come. So you're going to get offended. Someone is going to put you out of joint very quickly. If not today, then tomorrow, and certainly sometime this week. Someone is going to upset you somewhere, somehow. Someone will treat you unfairly, unjustly, and something will rise up. And instead of having lovely brown eyes, I'll go a little red. So this is going to happen. If it hasn't already happened, it's going to happen. And uh, we are having a season. It's not just about offenses. It's about letting God work to purify our heart so we can enjoy a greater level of his presence and a greater fruit in our lives. Going to help our relationships. A lot of, uh, I've heard an interesting thing. I've heard a lot of husbands and wives getting offended with one another this last couple of weeks <laughs> and putting their hand up for help. What a wonderful thing. But the best thing to do is to just get grow up and get to deal with offenses, eh? And uh, let a little more maturity come into our life. So we saw that God permits offenses to come. We saw last week how God actually arranges some situations where you will be offended if you want to be. 
And we saw that David had two opportunities to be greatly offended, take up offense, and he chose to trust God. And he walked his way through it. He passed the test. And so we see many times there are situations happen in our life with people around us and also people over us. And we get offended, treated unfairly. So maybe that policeman pulled you up and you didn't think you were really speeding or maybe you weren't and he booked you and he put this up. Just remember all the times you never got caught. You did deserve it. <laughs> you really did. And uh, so we've got to get over those things. Now I want to just speak, uh, this week you're going to be looking about uh, into the study series in the cell groups on spiritual vagabonds. I want to look about being planted in the house of the Lord. I want you to look at me in Psalm 92 and we'll pick it up in Psalm 92 and verse 13. <clears throat> you need to be planted to be productive. There's no one can build a marriage without commitment. And that means unreserved commitment, no plan B. If you're married, no plan B, no plan out. Plan just to be productive, make it work. You can't succeed in business unless you're committed. You can't succeed in any area of your life if you keep uprooting and shifting. If you uproot and shift a plant, then the plant will wither after a while. It'll, you can transplant it a couple of times, then after a while it dies. So there's something about us needing to be rooted and grounded, and uh, without that we can't grow. And so we need to see also that applies to our life in church. Our life is part of a body of people. Church is not a cafeteria. A lot of people have an idea that church, you come, you take what you like. I like to go to, like to, go to McDonald's. You go to McDonald's, you have a look up there, and, uh, and you see up there all these things. They've got these wonderful new things up there. Now I stood there, I don't know what to have. Oh, I don't like that. No, I have this. I don't have that. Now you actually, that's what a cafeteria, and you just sit, get what you want, sit down, eat it up, walk away. It's all over. Someone else clears up the mess. You don't have any responsibilities. You just walk in, walk out, have what you like, and don't have what you don't like. Is that true? Okay, well, we're not McChurch. It's not McChurch. Instant walk in, I'll take this, I don't like that, don't like this, I'll have a little bit of that, don't like that, and then we're out. This is not what God has called us to do. God's called us into a committed relationship with Him and with His body of people called the church so we can be productive in our lives in the community. It's not all about what happens in the meeting. It's actually about what happens in your life, in your relationships, and what overflows to the community. Can you say amen? Amen. So what happens, of course, people get upset in church very easily. Over the years, I've watched people. I remember when we had a move of God. Now, this really was funny because I'd been praying, God, what a move of God, a move of God. And finally, I, thought, I saw someone come into our nation that they were carrying a tremendous anointing. So I rung them. I said, please come to our church. They came to our church and we had the church. I thought, well, everyone here, they say, I love God. And I've seen them every Sunday. Lord, more of you, more of you. I want more of you. Lord, I give all to you. I've heard all those songs, heard all the words. So I thought, they, won't they be pleased with when someone comes and we have more of God. Well, not everyone was pleased at all. And so what happened? We had amazing meetings where uh, some of the people in the church had opened visions into heaven, saw angels, touched by the power of God. It was amazing outpouring of the presence of God. And what astonished me, though, was how many Christians said, got offended. And this is why they got offended. Because... God said something different to what they were used to. There was a lot of laughter. You shouldn't be laughing like that. I can't was laughing. It's wrong. You be serious. Church. Yeah, right. You know, God, God rejoices over us with joy and singing. But people got offended. They walked out. They actually walked out offended. Offended by what? Offended because when God came in a way different to what they expected... They judged it as being not God and turned away. Jesus said when he came to Jerusalem, he said, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, you didn't recognize the day of your visitation. In other words, God came and was in their midst. But because he came as a carpenter, they were offended and missed it. They couldn't receive what he had because it didn't come the way they thought it should be. You've got to really watch that you don't set yourself up as the judge of what is of God and what is not of God, of what I'll have and what I won't have. That's kind of like, well, if it's like this, I'll accept it. If it isn't like this, I won't have it. That's McChurch. We've got to suspend judgment and be open because God's got lots of new things he wants to do. He always thinking up new things. I'd, hate to, I'd be bored if he just did the same things all the time. <laughs> 
good new things created of God. So, so, so it was quite amazing. And there's the interesting thing. Once they left the church, they went down to another church, and about a year later, the same thing happened there. And they got offended and left there too. And I realized the issue is not God. The issue is people who have got attitudes that can't grow up and mature. And I say, God, never let me ever lose the hunger to change, grow, and be open to the new to keep moving forward, to keep embracing and never be offended because you did something different or you didn't do what I thought you'd do. And I've had heaps of that happen. So notice what it says here. Blessed are those who are planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They shall sting, well, still bring forth fruit in old age. They will be fat. Oh, there's a good word. Fat. See if someone got quiet on that one. Fat and flourishing. We want fat Christians, not physically fat, spiritually fat. We want anorexic Christians. Got a few anorexic Christians around. They look as though they're substantial, but there's nothing in them. <laughs> Weak spiritual development. Notice it says, those will be planted in the house of the Lord. God wants us to be planted to be productive. You notice it says here, uh, to be planted means to continually remain. Now, to be planted in the house of the Lord, you have to understand, this, is, this was David's cry. David said, now David was one of the men after God's own heart. And it says to David, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, there are two aspects of that. David was a man after the heart of God. What David longed for was to live, abide, and dwell in the presence of God. And the presence of God is connected to the house of God. And so uh, those that are planted in the house of God, the first thing you've got to be planted in is in a solid relationship, an abiding relationship with the Lord of the house. To be planted in the house of God. Listen, I went to a Catholic church for years. Every Sunday, sometimes twice a week, I was not planted in the house of the Lord. I was doing something religious every week. To be planted in the house of the Lord means you have a root system that draws on spiritual life. It's not just you turn up and sit at a service every Sunday. It's far more than that. Mormons do that. Jehovah's Witnesses do that. But it doesn't mean they're planted in the house of God. To be planted in the house of God firstly means you have a living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You actually cultivate a life in the Spirit, connecting, communing with Him. It says those who be planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of God, speaking of realms of the Spirit where you can have authority over demons and encounter God. See, they'll flourish in the courts of God. So the first thing is the relationship with Christ. That's why we want people to uh, draw near in the times of worship. That's why we want you to build a strong prayer life. That's why we have a growth track. It's so to help us, each of us, become strongly established in Christ, to become strongly established in Him. Now, the second aspect, or the flip side of that is, the church is the house of God. So you and I are the temple of the living God. The first place to become established is our personal inner life with God, connected, rooted, and drawing on Him. In Ephesians 3, it tells us that we need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God for us. That's the source that enables you to overcome the difficulties with people. Think about that. Why would God put you in a church when there's so many cranky, miserable people there? Well, think about that. People kind of expect the church to be perfect. It isn't perfect yet. It's just full of ordinary people like you and me who make mistakes a lot of the time. Is that true? Where do we get this idea it's all perfect? It was ruined when you came in. Perfection (laughs) passed away. We were doing well, but then now it's all changed, eh? See, none of us are perfect. We've all got holes. We've all got feet of clay. Every one of us from right across the whole church. And, of course, the problem is once you see that, you get offended. Because I thought it was going to be, oh, be perfect. It's not true. Get a life. This is not real. And so God puts us with people, many of whom are cranky, miserable. They failed in life. They were in distress and trouble. And they finally, in all their desperation, when everything else failed, cried out to God. God saved them brilliantly. That doesn't mean they matured straight away. They brought all their, their codependent, cantankerous kind of things with them. 
And then they put, and you got into a cell group and there's one of them there. Friend, you've got to learn to draw from God. Rooted and grounded in Christ, in the love of God. That's where we have to be. So the, the place we have to be first established or planted is solidly in our commitment, connection, and relationship with Jesus. Upon that, you've got enough then to handle some of the people who hang out with Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. It's the people that follow him are the problem. You should have known that by now. Is that true or what? I better be careful. I'm going to do far there. I'll say things I'll regret later. <laughs> So, so the church is the house of God, but it's made up of immature people, of stones that God is still shaping, building, preparing, and placing. And so we need to be aware of that. God wants to plant us in a house, so, to be planted in a house. So here's the thing. The house of God or the church is His expression in the earth. If you want to see God in the earth, find a believer who's full of the Holy Ghost. Find a church where there's a heap of them full of the Holy Ghost working and flowing together. Now, God's desire is he's not just about your personal progress. He's interested in building a community. Because sin not only fractured the relationship with God, fractured the relationship across this way too. That's why marriages break up, why families break up, why there's wars. Because relationships, people with people, have been fractured. And God wants to build a people that can demonstrate covenant commitment to Christ and to one another. A community of believers that love God and passionately love one another. He said, this is how the world, not the church, not the, church the world when you know, you follow me. How come? How will I know that? Well, because you pray in tongues. Because you have Bible readings? No. Because long prayer meetings? No. Because I go on mission trips? No. See, the world will know that you are a follower of Christ in the way you treat others in the family of God. Simple as that. And so you think, well, blow that. I hate that scripture. I thought it was all about me and God. But it isn't. It's about us and God. It's about God and what God wants to do through us. So to be planted in the house of God. So God puts us in a church and he places us and he fits us. Now, your attitude to the church or to the house of God. I'll just use, take away the word church. Just put for a moment the house of God. Because when you use the word church, people got all kinds of things in mind. You know, from down that building down the road there that's got a steeple. It looks like it's a church and isn't. See, so it's not, about the, it's not about a building, like a church building. The house of God is a people. Now, your attitude to God is immediately seen in your attitude to the house of God, his people. Your love for God is immediately reflected in your love for the house of God, people. You cannot separate one from the other. Because he is joined by covenant to us, your response and attitude to him is directly seen in how you treat his people. Jesus said, you do this to the least of my brethren, to my family, to my people, you're doing it to me. So when we're abusive, when we're critical, when we betray the relationships one with another, we are doing this to the Lord or the head of the family. It's a family, say. We overlook that. We think because I don't know that person sitting over there, I've got no responsibility to them. That's not true. We have a responsibility to love those that God has joined to himself, his family. This is why we go, you go on missions, trips, one of the things you find everywhere you go in the world, doesn't matter what color, what language, whatever, it's all God's family. And they all, when they pray, they pray to the same dad in heaven, they call him Father. You see, and that's why God makes certain promises. You see, when, he, when, when orphans are crying out, Father, help us. Father moves to another part of his family and says, help them. And it's not about us just doing a big deal for orphans. Actually, it's about us responding to our father and his family. Now, that can be just as simple as the person in the, ch in the church that's got some simple need, and people gather around them and just love on them, like the church did for Michelle when she lost her dad this week, gathered around and encouraged and comforted. Now, that's the church in action, family. People that in the midst of a crisis, they're there for you because you built committed relationships with them. See, people, want, they, people have a tendency to want something for nothing. So we say, well, there's no love here. I ask, well, what have you done to invest in relationship building? 
So when your time of need came, there were people around you who knew you and could respond. It's not some kind of government organization. It's a living body, living relationships. Now, if you want to have people available to support, encourage, strengthen your time of need, you must actually be committed to connecting to people so it can happen. How else will they know you? I've had people get offended, leave the church. Guess why? Get this. You can't believe this. This is unbelievable. They weren't well. Something had gone wrong. So they stayed home, and no one rang them. No one visited them. No one called them. Actually, no one knew. And they got offended because no one came. That's crazy. If you're sick, you ring up a doctor or get a prayer from an elder or something. But do something. You do something. If, you, if your te teeth are gone, you don't stay at home and then complain about the dentist not coming. You ring him up, make an appointment, go see him. You take some initiative, you know. Well, this is crazy stuff. But people get offended and will walk away. Now, this is crazy. That means there's something really basically wrong. They haven't understood church about building relationships, connections, and flowing together. So those that are planted in the house of God shall flourish, eh? Shall flourish in the courts of God. That means break out, blossom. Blossom in the courts of God. It says they shall be fat. That word means blessed, productive, anointed. So if I want to carry anointing, I have to be part of something bigger than myself. There's no solo Christianity. It's all about the house of God, about God's people coming together. And we come together so that we can be encouraged, strengthened, built up, refreshed, grow, developed, matured. So then we can go out and do the work of God. The work of God is not just all in the church. It's mostly out where you are advancing his interests in the world. We've got to think like that. Not separate our work life from what you do on Sunday. Actually, there is no separation except inside you. It means that you're a Sunday Christian instead of actually living our life as a disciple of Christ. We bring them everywhere we go. We are the house of God. We're today, we're the house of God gathered. Then in a few uh, minutes, 20 minutes or so, we'll be the house of God dispersed. We're still the house of God, and we still have a mandate to extend his kingdom, his interests, wherever we are. When we come together, it's for mutual encouragement, strengthening, because we need it, and God's made uh, certain promises. He's made requirements. Forsake not the assembling, gathering in relationship and flowing together. Don't forsake it as some do. So God wants us to connect in relationships. It's a commitment. It's an effort planted in the house of the Lord. And so it says they shall be fat. They'll be anointed, productive. They will flourish. That means a luxurious growth. Eh? So very clearly what happens is that as we get planted in a local church, our life can begin to grow and mature through the input and the help of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It's interesting of Jesus, Jesus had a habit of going to church. He says he went to the synagogue as was his habit, as he was wont to do. He did it all the time. He wanted to do it, and he did it. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it pleases him. So God sets people in a local church. Now, who sets them in the local church? What does the Bible say? God sets the members in the body, everyone, everyone, everyone. Is anyone left out here? Everyone. So when you get joined to Christ, you become a member of him. Now he sets the members, everyone in the body, as it pleases him. Now the body of Christ consists of believers worldwide, but it has local expressions called a local church. We're one local church. There's other local churches, Elam, AOG, different other local churches all around here. Now God will put it in your heart to be joined to one of them. You can't sort of, oh, well, I just sort of go in the body of Christ. That's nonsense. Religious, spiritual nonsense. It's independence. You can't flourish if you like that. God puts us in a local church, puts us in a body, yeah, so we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And he sets us. And then if God has put you in there, that's because he wants to do something in you and through you. So when God put it in your heart to be in Bay City, you could have gone anywhere else in town. You came here because God put it in your heart. That's why we say right up front, you want to join the church, become a member of the church, this is the vision, this is the values, this is where we're going, you're getting on a bus, this is where we'll take you. If you're not coming to where we're taking you, please don't come here, go somewhere else. Or you'll be going up, you'll be fighting all the way. 
We're unashamed about where we're going. We know where we are and where we're going, what we're trying to do. We're unashamed about saying that. And so to be part of the local church, you join not just, you don't just come on Sunday. It's actually been part of an environment where God releases an anointing to do the work that he called us to do. You become part of the house. The anointing is over your life. You can flow in the gifts of the Spirit. You can flow in revelation. You can flow in the anointing of the Holy Ghost in your workplace, in your personal life. Why? It's part of the blessing of being a part of the house. You go to a different church, there'll be a different anointing on it because they've raised it up to do something different. So when you come to this church, you'll find there's certain things. There's a strong faith element. There's a strong believing God for miracles. There's a strong emphasis on the miraculous and supernatural life. There's a strong emphasis on the presence and power and person of God. There's a strong emphasis on missions. Strong emphasis on raising up people. That's part of who we are. So when you join to the church, you're joined to God's expression doing that work. And you get anointed to do that work. You need to get on board. Not just do what you want to do. It's not about you, and it's not about your ministry. I've never had a ministry. I just serve God in the church. I still don't think I've got a ministry. I just do what God wants me to do. Serve God. It's about God. If he says stop that, I stop it. Man, I've let go churches. I've let go leadership and movement. Just let it go because God said it was time to change. He set me. He changed me. And I have to be really, really clear it was God. Hey, you never move from one church to another list. You never move by reaction, always move by revelation. You've actually got to be where God positioned you. Sometimes he shifts you, but you do it by revelation, by God speaking clearly, clearly and unmistakably that it's time for a shift. Why do you do that? Because the devil knows that God wants to actually develop you and work something through you and use you to work in the lives of others. But also the devil knows that wants to get rid of you. This is the strategy he will use over and over and over. He's already used it against you, but you survived. But he'll have another go. He'll have another go. He'll have another. He'll keep it. Because it's a good strategy. If it works, you keep using it. Isn't that right? This is what he'll do. He'll offend you so you make a decision to withdraw and get out of where God placed you. And usually it's just at the point you were about to break through to something fresh. Oh, I've had it over and over and over and over again. It's a biblical thing. It just happens. The devil wants you out of where you are. Now, how he'll do it is this. He will, he will stir up an injustice of some kind, whether it's with a leader or with another member in the church, and you heard this or you heard that or da-da-da-da-da-da, or gossip or rumor or whatever. That's, it doesn't really matter the packaging. The deal's all the same. And what happens is he works on offending you, so you close up your spirit. Then what he'll do is this. He will attack you with a spirit of rejection. And you will feel, I don't belong. Nobody wants me. And you're under strong spiritual attack because an offense has resided in your heart. And so first he gets you offended. Now he begins to work on you and beat on you. And overwhelmingly you'll feel this thing, I'm not wanted here. I need to get out of here. I need to go somewhere. Not where to go. I just got to get out. Just get out of there, get out. I've had that feeling many times, believe me. Many, many, many times. And the only thing that kept me in place was I've anchored to what God said I should do. And if God says you're here and you stay, then you're here and you stay. I did that when I was in a Christian school. I was there for life until God said move. Then I was pastoring a church in Dannyburg for, for my life until God said to change. Then I came up here. God never said to change. Anytime I've asked him, he said no. Okay. Wherever God wants you, that's where he wants you. And whatever he wants you doing, that's okay with me too. But right now he's got me doing one thing, but if he says that's over, someone else is going to do that now, I've got something different for you, that's fine. You understand? It's actually about serving God. It's all about what he wants to do with my life and through me. He said, I want you to do something quite different now, that's fine. It's a bit painful changing, but then you change because everything that God wants for my life is fine with me. You understand that? Now, one thing that's not fine is if you start to feel because of offense or reaction or hurt that you want to quit and get out. Now, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. Teenagers do it. I tell you what, and this is one area you'd obviously be aware of. Teenagers get very offended when their parents try to put discipline or authority or boundaries around them. You know what they do? They, they get offended. They close their spirit. They start to react. Then they walk out, and boy, do they get into some troubles. I have seen it over and over and over again. The day they, they took on the rebellion and did a walk, 
You then track down what happened after that, all the problems that came into their life. I've seen people run up thousands of dollars of accident bills when they just did that. Horrible thing to recover from it afterwards, eh? So there's usually a, there's a progression takes place. Number one, you get an offense comes, and the first thing that happens is your spirit shuts up. So when your spirit's closed up, the next thing that comes hot on the heels of that is you cannot receive any input. Once your spirit is closed and you've got an offense, you get offended with me or one of the leaders or offended with God, the first thing that happens is your spirit closes up and you can't receive anything. In uh, Mark chapter 6, it said they, they were offended with Jesus and so they couldn't receive anything and he couldn't do anything to help them. He taught them and prayed for the ones who were open. Offenses close your spirit and stop you receiving. The day you get offended in this church, you will find fault with everything in it. You understand that? This is the devil's plan. It's how it works. It's a progression. And it, now, now, you would never think that you'd suddenly be blown out and end up somewhere you never should be, but you don't notice what's happening to you on the way because you don't guard the, we've got to guard the heart. So first, we get offended. Then the spirit closes up. Then we can't receive input. Then we begin to isolate ourselves. We begin to isolate. You become sort of drawn. I've watched people start off in, in the front row here, and gradually, Sunday by Sunday, they work their way till they're in the back row. And you can actually, when you preach to them, feel the wall around their spirit and heart, which they've built up. And you've got to learn as a preacher to preach over it, or they'll shut down everyone else from receiving. Not only that, the people all around them feel the offense and start to get upset themselves. And they don't even know why they're getting upset. Because offenses and, and bitterness and things like that defile, they actually do something to people. So the next thing that happens, of course, is discontentment. People become discontented and then critical. So once you've got offended with something, then nothing that you see or hear will be right. It's like, you got, it's like you're tuned for what's wrong. And is there some things wrong? Oh, the birds fly. Wherever there's people, there's lots of things wrong. There are all sorts of things. There's people. This is life. But see, if there's grace in your heart, you can get over that. It's an opportunity to grow. But once you got offended, then there's no grace anymore. You withdraw. Next thing that happens is you begin to react to every new or perceived injustice. You're tuned into it. Instead of being tuned to God and the grace of God, now you've got to tune to something else. And you can pick it up just like that. You just pick it. And suddenly it's like you're, whatever you focus on, that's what you'll draw into your life. So if you're focusing around an offense, whether it's real or just imagined in your own mind. You know, I had one person who was so offended with me. He said, I said, why? No idea. He said, you didn't speak to me. Twice you didn't speak to me. I said, I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. And we investigated further. He had a deep rejection problem and an issue with authorities. And God gave him an opportunity to be offended. But he sat on me for ages. That's crazy. This is crazy stuff. This is kid stuff. If you can be stopped that small, you're not very big inside. It doesn't take much to stop some people, I don't think. We need to grow great and big people. There's nothing going to stop me. What, someone mucks up? There's nothing. Move on. Someone blows it, someone upsets me? There's nothing. I was born for this. Jesus came into a world not to be ministered to. He had no expectation it all go well. He didn't come down here into the earth to say, now, I want you all to accept me. And like me, I've got some very important things to tell you. I've got a very big ministry here. I've come all the way from heaven to help you. He didn't start with that. He worked off the assumption, it's all messed up. And I am the answer. Now, if you took on that attitude, that when you go out of these walls, the world is messed up and you are part of the answer for it. Then you won't get offended by people. And when you come in the church... Yes, there's immaturity everywhere. And you are part of the answer. Or you've become part of the problem. Depends on you, you know. You get huffed and I won't sit there, come in here. And, and I, but I always sit there, someone's sitting in my seat. So you're three seats further back now and on the way back to the back and out the door and down the road and somewhere... Somewhere, I don't know where you're going to end up, but it won't be a good place. Come on now, we've got to be better than that. You'd be amazed how people get huffed. Because they thought I said something, or they thought I did something, they thought a leader said something, or they thought, or they, you know how often it goes wrong. And once your heart's wrong, you can't get anything right. And the next thing is, of course, in the steps of progress, is to get attracted to others who are just feeling the same way. 
Have you noticed when your kids get upset or get rebellious, they'll find someone else who's rebellious and they hang out together and they feed off one another. Well, this happened to me. Whoa, the other one's, whoa, yeah, well, well, you've heard nothing. Well, you hear what happened. Oh, is that right? Whoa, well, and so they start to get stirred up. It's true. And so people who are offended feed off one another. They, they start off a, what do you think about so-and-so? Fishing. And if there's a response of an offense coming up, oh, you know, now we talk. And the fellowship's over offenses. And so we're literally eating a pile of junk, feeding on stuff that's going to destroy our soul and our relationships. So that's what happens people fellowship. I always watch who people hang out with. Because if, if I know someone, you know, you know something? If people have a homosexual problem, in a, in a group of a thousand, the other homosexual will find them. You ever wondered how come? Am I wearing a flag or something? Well, I might be, but how I was probably, you know, maybe not. <laughs> but even if it's not like that, somehow they find one another. You got an offense, there's someone sitting in a row near the back that's also offended, you'll probably meet them and have good fellowship <laughs> over offenses. Man, will you be both wound up by the time you finish feeding off one another and firing up one another. And finally, person leave in an offended state. They can't see clearly at all. And then they never trust anyone after that. So I've noticed an thing. Once you pull out once, it's easier to do it again. And easier to do it again. And easier to do it again. It becomes harder and harder. So those only people have a divorce. It's actually hard to make the next marriage work. And if it goes again, it's really hard to make the next one go. Because they just withdraw. I'm not going to trust anyone again. There's damage being done because of what's happened. <laughs> okay? All right then. So let me just finish one verse now. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans 12, verse 17. Romans 12. Oh. How many know someone just like the person I just described? How many think they're sitting next to them right now? <laughs> You, should, you know what you should do? You say, get over it. Really offend them. Get over it. Grow up. You know, people hate that. They hate that. I remember one person going berserk. We told them, listen, it's childish. Grow up. And they absolutely went berserk. They actually carried on in a very childish manner. You almost, it was so hard not to say, see? You know, eyes and nostrils flaring, and oh, the shocking thing. Okay, here it is Romans, number, uh, Romans 12 uh, and verse uh, tw- 17. Don't pay back evil for evil, but provide honest things in the sight of all men. If possible, if possible, it means it isn't always possible to live right with people in peace. So you do the best, but it isn't always possible because sometimes you have to set boundaries and people get offended up and set by the boundaries. So, uh, uh, dearly beloved, don't pay back, don't avenge, don't be angry. Leave it up to God. Don't, don't, don't think I've got to pay back. Now, there's lots of ways of paying back. Every culture's got payback. Payback's sweet. You know, no, it isn't sweet at all. It defiles you. See, but payback. See, they call it utu. Payback. Remember for years. Chinese say, it is a Chinese proverb, 10 years, not too long to remember. Payback. You know, and I think, oh, you know, 10 years you're sitting on this thing. That's a shocker. See, so, so, so if, we, if we're sitting on something and we want to pay back, we're actually taking the law into our own hands. We've found them guilty, judged them, and now we're going, to, we're going to set it right. We're going to be the judge and the jury and the executioner. And sometimes it can be simple as this. I'm not going to talk to you. Now, you wouldn't recognize that's a little spiteful payback. I'm not going to talk. See someone coming across the road. That's my payback. It's pathetic. It is so pathetic. People do this kind of thing. Everywhere they do this kind of thing. They avoid. And, and, and they won't talk. That's the most common one. I won't talk to you anymore. You've seen teenagers get a silence. Or even husbands and wives. I've known some of them. Would you be- oh, hard to believe. But in this church even. <laughs> never spoke to one another for a week. How could people do that? Write notes. Here's a note. Honey, wake me up in the morning. You wake up in the morning, you've slept in, there's a note. Wake up. <laughs> oh, it gets really bad. It gets really pathetic, you know. 
That's the level some people live in. Come on, we've got to grow up and get right out of that kind of deal. We've got to grow up and mature in our relationship. So don't pay back evil for evil. Don't pay back, don't get revenge, and don't get angry, you know? Don't, don't get angry. You're that old thing, don't get angry, get even. No, no, that's not true. Just let it go. Leave it to God. Let it go to God. Let him sort it out. And if you really need to, go talk to the person. But if you're going to talk to the person, get rid of the offense before you talk or you'll have an even bigger row. You can't believe I had some people come say things to me. I had someone come up to me. This is their way of dealing with an offense. This is they come up to me. Pastor, can I have a word with you? Yes, yes. I've hated you for the last three years. I'm blessed. <laughs> it's, hard not to, it's hard to know what to do. It hits you so bad. I think, what are you supposed to do with that? I've hated you for the last three years. Sitting in church every week, listening to the message, hated me for three years. I said, well, I didn't feel a thing. I've been getting on with having a happy life. I'm sorry you're so miserable. And three years, what on earth was it? You didn't come and see me when I was sick. I don't recall you being sick. Did you ring? Did you ask? No. And this is the kind of thing that goes on. This is pathetic. Come on, pathetic. It's pathetic, isn't it? Do you know anyone who's done these things? It's just a shocker. Isn't it? That's not how you put a relationship right, by the way. Come up to them and say, I've always hated you. I remember they had some silly thing we did some while ago and you know, other people hugged and affirmed. One guy said, I've never liked you. <laughs> I had a lot of grace. I just wanted to say, I don't like you either. <laughs> Especially now. You know, we're called to love people, not necessarily like them. You don't have to like people, but you can love them. Love them, you act in their best interests. But you don't necessarily like them. Or trust them. You know? Trust has to be earned. So you've got to realize it and sort this thing out. Some people get funny things because I love everyone, you know? Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. We love everyone, but it doesn't mean I trust people. Jesus did not entrust himself to people who are unfaithful. He wouldn't want himself to be damaged by entering into relationships with untrustworthy, unreliable people. Christians are naive. Well, we're Christian. We just, oh, the whole world's wonderful. We just trust everyone. They get into business with that attitude. You go bankrupt very quick, especially if you go into business with a Christian. Come on now, this is, the, these are, this is what goes on. We've got to stop that kind of behavior. That's not godly behavior. Okay, so here it is. He says, Don't, vengeance is the Lord's. Now God can pay back. And when God pays back, you'll be praying for your enemy when you see what he does to them. I have seen God pay back people. It's not nice. And you know, the worst thing is they didn't realize that was what was happening. They didn't connect what they did over here with what they were suffering over here. And many times people don't. You often you get a teenager, they go off the rails, and they go down, their life's down the mess, and suddenly you go down, you visit them, they're in jail, this kind of da-da-da-da, and all those problems, and they're still angry at the world, and angry at God, angry at everyone, and they never realized or tracked it back. What they're doing and facing now actually came from a decision to dishonor their parents, react, rebel, and move out of parents' counsel. And that led down that sticky path. So the Bible says very clearly, don't, don't let anger, don't, don't pay people back. Now I've had people leave the church and abuse me and run me down and tell lies about me, all kinds of things. And then when I heard they were sick, I rung them up and offered to pray for them. Now you see, you've got to be better. That's the only way you can be sure you're free of offenses, if you can still love people, if you can still do what's the best thing for them. You know you've gone from death to life when you can, you know, love the brethren. You're actually able to connect with them in love. And not feel, oh, you say, I could have thought, oh, payback, sweet. Yay, God, that's good. And it wasn't good. The guy got cancer. It wasn't good. I felt for him. He's, we've walked in fellowship. He's been a friend. You know, and so when you're there, you don't want to have these kind of attitudes. So we need to let it go. So let it go. Learn to let it go. Learn to let it go, just like Jesus did. Otherwise, it'll get into you. You become offended with God like Cain did. Then you find yourself fighting and destroying people around you. When you do that, you'll end up with a problem in your life. Cain ended up, when he did that, he ended up cursed. That means demonic powers had access to him. He ended up with the land unproductive. His work never produced its potential. He ended up wandering around, disconnected relationally, and he ended up with attitudes, no one understands me. Everyone's out to get me. 
Now, if you've got that attitude, no one understands me, everyone's out to get me, then you've got an offense you've never dealt with. And it's for certain you won't build stable relationships. God wants you to get over it. Let it go. Let it go. Release it. Let it go to God. And become planted in Christ. You see, Jesus said this, if you won't forgive your brothers, I'm not going to forgive you either. And if you get out of sorts with people in the church, you're out of sorts with me because I love them. That's what God says. He says in the Word. Not only that, He says, if you won't let things go and I've let you go so much, I'm going to take back my forgiveness and let the devil beat on you for a bit. It means you get sick, you have problems, calamities, every kind of trouble. Now, we don't want to be in that kind of realm. We can't afford to have stuff in our heart that blocks us. Let's, let, let's let it bring it to the Lord. Acknowledge it, bring it out to Him. Friend, what the Bible says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above all nations. And the Bible says, all nations shall flow into the house of God. However imperfect the church is, it's still Jesus' people. And he will work on it. He will mature his church. And at the end of the day, the Bible says very clearly, it's not, maybe there's things out there are going real bad, but it says in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above every hill and the nations shall flow into it because of what they see in the life of the people of God in the presence of God manifest. Friend, what a great thing to be a part of the church of the living God. Part of the answer for our community. It's time we stood up inside, got over the immaturity and began to realize I have got something to bring into the community. I have got something to touch the business people, the kids at school, Wherever I am, we have got something here they need. And we draw them in. Can you say amen to that? You say amen. Come on, let's stand up, shall we, together? If you have offenses in your heart, let them go. Acknowledge them. Bring them to the cross. Remember the pain and the hurt. And then as you remember the pain and the hurt, release forgiveness and allow God to draw near to you and to start to touch you in the inner man. Draw on him to help you break through that thing and grow to another level. You say amen? Praise God. We're going to finish with a great song. I want you to just participate in this. As we're doing it, we think, God, he wants us to tell everyone about Jesus. The good things Jesus has done for us. Can you say amen? If you're here today and you've never come to Jesus, talk to the person next to you. How can I become a Christian? Tell me a bit more about it, and they will share with you how you can become a Christian. If you've got offenses... Acknowledge it, do some homework in your life before God and break through to another level. Bless, pray, bless the people that did the thing. Come on, church, let's celebrate. We're part of the answer in our area, not part of the problem. Amen? Come on, part of the answer. Praise the Lord. I thought it was my heart for a moment.